Okay, hello and welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. My name is Chris Hackett. I am an L&D onboarding consultant at Evolution, welcoming you to join us. On today's podcast, we have Lisa Garner, who has experiences there in the global L&D field, and most recently with Amoria Bond. We have Jackson Hughes of Thor Companies and Alex Tapley of Oyster Partnership. And we are going to discuss all things L&D in the L&D sphere, but with a massive focus on effective on-site training compared to remote learning. So before we delve any deeper into this topic, I'd like to work around the room let everybody have an opportunity to introduce the, uh, introduce themselves. So let's start off with Alex. Can you please give us a little introduction about who you are? Thank you. Uh, hi, Chris. Thanks for thanks for having me. Really appreciated. Glad to be here. Yeah, really quickly. Um, I'm brand new to L and D. Only been in the industry uh, probably only about six six weeks now, something like that. Um, I I was a recruiter uh, by trade for the last kind of four and a half years here at Oyster. Uh, absolutely love my time, worked my way from a trainee to, to, to managing consultant, looking after a team, realized that at the kind of four, four and a half year mark that, you know, I really wanted to kind of branch off into something else and, and you know, take back my my control of, of coaching and developing other people, which I'd had in a previous job. And Oyster were very kind enough to welcome me across. So, yeah, thoroughly enjoying the role. It's a brand new aspect of the business. We've never done L&D before. So, a lot of work, but uh, a lot of fun as well. Excellent. Thanks for that, Alex. Um, and let's now go to uh, Jackson. Do you mind introducing who you are, please, sir? Yeah, again, thank you, Chris, for uh, inviting me into this podcast. Very much looking forward to it. Um, so, yeah, my name is Jackson. Um, recently passed my probation here at Thor Companies after six months. Um, prior to that, I had a year's experience as an L&D consultant at uh, Spencer Ogden. Prior to that, I had about five years experience as a consultant, similar to Alex, uh, working my way up from a resourcer all the way through to um, a senior consultant, um, working within the engineering field. So about seven, seven and a half years experience altogether within recruitment. Uh, thanks for that, uh, Jackson. And now we're going to go to Lisa. Do you mind introducing your fabulous self, please? Hi, Chris. Thanks so much. Um, and thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. Really looking forward to talking to the guys about the topic today. So I'm Lisa Garner. Um, I've been in the recruitment industry for 22 years, so <laughs> quite a long time. I started off my career at Hayes um, and worked my way up to being a senior manager. Really similar to what Alex has said, just fell in love with coaching and training people. So I moved into being a talent team leader for his, ahead of L ahead of um, talent for Mawson International, and then head of training for Rulion, head of training for a tri recruitment training company, and more recently I'm at Amoria Bond. So um, and I'm an L and D consultant. But yeah, really looking forward to this topic today and discussing that with you all. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Lisa. Um, so now that we've established a context to each of you, we're going to now move on into our topic of focus, okay? So before this podcast, I asked each of you to provide a question on our topic of effective on-site training compared to remote learning. Uh, and our approach, I'm going to uh, pose a question that was given by each of our participants, and you'll have an opportunity to give your take on that, uh, give your insight, give your challenges, um, and hopefully L&D as a community will be greatly improved by our conversation. So 
Now we're going to start off with Jackson's uh, question. And Jackson posed, what time is most effective to give classroom or virtual training? And I'm going to specify, I, I think, on time of day. What time of day is best for classroom? What time of day is best for virtual? So uh, though you've posed the question, Jackson, would you like to provide your insights onto that, please? Yeah, th this is something that um, comes up a lot, um, since, especially since I've been in L&D, uh, in terms of the best time during the day. Um, I think, you know, as we've all been in, in recruitment ourselves, we know how busy our days are. Um, you know, there's never a right time for training. Uh, although it's imperative that we all do it. Um, and I've had so many different conversations around this where, you know, is it better in the morning, you know, first thing when you come in or, you know, just before lunch. So you could say it's outside of core hours after lunch or is it after lunch is difficult because people just had lunch and they're, you know, feeling a little bit sluggish, better at the end of the day. Then it comes to what day during the week. So I thought this would be, you know, a good question to get your guys' opinion on, um, because it's something that, not, not that I'm struggling with, but I just want to get some advice just to see what, what everyone thinks, really. Brilliant. So, um, Alex, if we could bring this to you, then, in, in terms of um, your scope with this new L&D situation that you've got, how have you been managing the time of day for your sessions? So, for for me, it's it's got to work for the learners, and I think, you know, it trying to pick a time of day where it's you know the optimum time of day is always tough it always depends on the individual doesn't it you might have one cohort that you know just how they work and how they learn suits the morning better but the next cohort you think great i'll do it in the morning and actually you know you might get a little bit less engagement a little bit less motivation they might prefer you know afternoon just before they go home because they're they're buzzing to to, to head out for the day um so how we've done it here at oyster is we we've done a little bit of like a an engagement survey with each cohort that kind of comes in just to kind of gauge how they prefer to learn what time of day they prefer to learn um and whatever the kind of average is i, I always try and fit it around that kind of time so if someone tells me you know i prefer to learn between 10 and 12 i go right i will try and book in training between 10 and 12 for example any time between there be it half an hour 15 minutes hour whatever the training session needs to be i'll try and do that but obviously you guys know what it's like. The managers kind of want it done as early as possible in the day, so the guys are back on the floor. Um, so it's about trying to be like, no, 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 look, let's let's get them in, get them settled. They can go through and do all their admin for the day, so their brain's not on emails or callbacks while they're in training. Let's give them an hour to kind of get in, get that admin stuff done. By that time, their brain's warmed up, they're ready to go. And so I, I always try to do my sessions between 10 and 12 if I can. I think, like you said, Jackson, just after lunch is an absolute killer because uh, everyone's just so sluggish and sleepy um, that I, 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 I almost never do training after straight after lunch. So, yeah, I would say between 10 and 12 for me kind of fits perfectly. A super answer. Thanks for that, Alex. Um, what about yourself, Lisa, when it comes to... Um you know, setting up that routine, trying to set up the agenda for your uh, for your training. When do you best think that the um, let's let's actually be more precise. Let's take it to remote training. When is remote training? What's the best time in the day for that? So again, I I have to agree with where Alex is coming from on the time of day. So I'd, 
I've tried over the years many different ways and um, a lot of it has depended on core hours um, in the past. That's not been the case more recently. I think that now organisations are starting to really embrace L&D a lot more, see the value and actually instead of going don't do it in core hours or like let's do these really important interventions. So I think we've progressed um, as an industry. Um, I do agree on what Alex is saying. I think that after lunch, and I mean, I'm like this, we, we've all been in training, right? And after lunch, <laughs> something very bizarre happens to you. You're like, especially if you eat something carby. So um, you do lose people a little bit later in the day, no matter how wonderful you are and highly entertaining. So I do think that slot that it's quite a sweet spot that that 10 till 1 you know like that's that's kind of a nice place to be because people have come in they've checked their emails they've got their head in a good space they get in they do the training they know they've got the afternoon um in any the, the, there's no longer that thing about the old days where it was like that used to be the time you weren't allowed to do because that was like this is we're on the phone this is bd this is core hours because it's a it's a very nice time to train whether it's face to face or online, um. So yeah, I tend to favour that sort of spot a lot. I, I mean, obviously, it depends on who your audience is as well. So you might have people who are doing US hours, um. Then they're not in at that time, you know. So they might not start till eleven if they're doing US hours. So it depends on a few different factors, but it's it's a nice spot that for your US guys, if it's people who are doing different hours, then you can kind of work it out based on where that would be in a normal day um, and give them that opportunity to come in, get themselves set up, maybe give them that hour before they, so maybe start at 12 and do a couple of hours then. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I think that's a great time to actually to do training whether it's online or first face i like this conversation a lot it's reminded me of when my old education days as a teacher where you would want to have your core subjects being taught before lunch because of the post-lunch lag that there would be so your english maths and science for year 11 there's always before lunch because you're like let's get these people learning at their optimum so uh, i like the way that there's a correlation here between the uh, between adults and, and students, it's, that's, uh, that's amusing. Um, in terms of the face-to-face, um, the face-to-face -face, -face training, is there any time which is a big no? I mean, beyond the, the post-lunch dip, um, I, I wouldn't want to train first thing. First thing in the morning, um, for me, like I said, their brain just isn't there. Um, if they've got callbacks, if they're waiting on CV feedback, interview feedback, unless they've had a chance to come in and deal with the admin, chase up anything that needs to be chased, they're not going to be 100% focused. So if I, if I had to say anything that wasn't the, the little post-lunch lag, I would say first thing, not because I don't think they'd be tired or anything like that. I just think it's because I want their focus on what they're going to learn and, and kind of what they're going to be taking in rather than actually, you know, what's, what's going on on their desk at the time being. Um, you know, the world the world's not gonna stop um for them to be in training for half an hour, but to them, you know, especially if they are part of our new cohort and they're waiting for that first ever C V feedback or that first ever interview feedback, their their brain is gonna be still out on the floor rather than kind of in with me. So yeah, if it's if it's not the post lunch dip, it'd be C V it'd be first thing for me. Thank you for that, Alex. Um right, Jackson, anything to add, please? Yeah. <laughs> 
funny enough for me, I think it would be the opposite to Alex. I think towards the end of the day, because you can look at it the other way where they've had a whole day. And if you're looking at doing training at around, you know, four, half four, in my opinion, their minds are already thinking, we're going to the pub or what am I having for dinner tonight? Or, you know, where are we going to watch football tonight? Whatever it is, you know, so their minds are already elsewhere. So I completely agree with Alex. First thing in the morning can be very difficult because they've just come in, they've got loads of stuff to do on desk, um, they've got their targets to hit, all of these things. But also right at the end of the day, I feel like sometimes they can feel they could be exhausted from being on the phones all day. Um, the pressures, we, we all know the pressures of being a recruitment consultant. And then, but then on the flip side, they could think, oh, do you know, what? I've got some training this afternoon, um, which I'm quite looking forward to, um, which will be nice leading up until I go home. So I don't know. Um, I, I, I think I do prefer to do it in the, the morning where Alex said, between that kind of half nine, 10 onwards leading up to lunch. Um, when I was at my previous business, um, Spencer Ogden, in our um, um, academy, we had uh, two sessions. So we'd done nine till 11 and then uh, two till four. And the two till four was a huge difference in comparison to the morning. They're more alert in the morning than in, in the afternoon. Um, and that was only for two weeks or so um, in, in their first two weeks of their academy. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. And, and this is why I wanted to raise this question, because I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. I think it does depend on the cohort. It can also depend on the length of the training, um, the seniority or how junior they are, um, the type of training as well, how engaging it is. All of these different factors do come into it. But to answer your question, Chris, for me, it would be that kind of four to half four slot I want to try and avoid um, at all costs. I like that. One thing that, that I believe we've got out this question is that the, the time, the, the, the optimum time for learning is unfortunately also the optimum time of BD, of actually doing the job. And this, if the company has the strong value within L&D, then they are going to be willing to let us allocate that time to developing recruiters, to make them better recruiters, to invest that time to make sure that future BD time and core business hours are utilised more effectively. Really interesting. Thank you for that. Thank you, everybody. Um, we're now going to move this into Alex's question, which marries up quite well, because instead of talking about what time of day is the best uh, when it comes to classroom or virtual training, we're now thinking about how much, uh, what's the optimum length in terms of in-person training compared to virtual training? Uh, really good question, this one, Alex, and I'd like you to just kick us off with this and about why you've posed this question. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Um, I know there's lots of talk at the moment um, about, you know, uh, micro uh, micro sessions and trying to get stuff fitting around people's lives. And, you know, we, we try and do a lot of that, little taster sessions here and there. Um, but really, you know, I, I'm kind of going off the format like, we've always worked on here at Oyster when we've had the academy, which every training session is normally about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, if we need to take a, a, a little break in there, we, we, we do. I always try and break the sessions up with some parts of, of interactivity. So maybe some games, some quizzes, some little group work, some role plays, some scenario plays. 
Um, but really, I just wanted to open it up to you guys to see kind of what your thoughts were. So if you were coaching on candidate qualification, for example, how long would you say is too long? How short would you say is too short? Um, for me, in my head, you know, I'm, I'm working off the basis of about an hour at the moment. I'd, I'd just be interested to hear what Jackson and Lisa think is is, is working for them and their guys. Uh, before we take that over to Jackson and Lisa, do you mind me just asking, Alex, how long do you spend on your virtual training? Are you giving that 45 minutes to an hour? Or are you actually giving that less time or more time? What are you doing for your remote? Uh, well, actually, I haven't run any virtual sessions yet. Um, uh, when I when I have done it in the past, well, I, before I was in an L&D role, and obviously as a, as, a, as a manager, I used to do this uh, previously again if it's any more than kind of half an hour 40 minutes 45 minutes virtually i think the the engagement kind of really really drops i know when i've been in training sessions virtually obviously during the pandemic where someone's showing me how to use a new piece of software a i'm not very it minded uh, uh and b it's gone on for kind of like an hour and a half two hours kind of showing me how to use a new crm for example it's just kind of like i've almost fallen asleep there um to be honest but um yeah if it's virtual the ones the times i have tried to do it i've tried to keep it under 45 minutes if i possibly can okay so um we have around about an hour for in person if it goes over then obviously that to but try and keep it as below an hour if we can then remote training even less than that to keep the engagement up uh we're going to start this off with lisa uh, when it comes to um, when it comes to in-person training compared to your virtual training, what time do you find to be optimum? Yeah, so this there's been a, this has been a massive shift actually because of Gen Z. <laughs> um, so when I started um, in L and D, we would do like full days, like so you do a full day in the classroom, and that was really standard. So a lot of recruitment companies would have two days on candidate two days on client, full days in the classroom. Um, and that that kind of started to die out a little bit as we got to the millennials, because the millennials were like, oh, hang on a minute, <laughs> because that's not how they consume you know, content. That's not how they work. They, they, they're much faster paced. They like snippets and small bits of content. Um, the new generations like Gen Z, for example, they like to learn from you know quick YouTube videos and things like that. So there's been like a big shift that I've seen over the years. So the, the last 11 years has been a, a massive change. I think 45 minutes is, is pretty is pretty small. Like for a classroom session, it's quite a short session. Um, so I would probably say, it, I mean, it depends on the topic as well, but a couple of hours, like as a do things as micro sessions instead of full days in the classroom. But if you're doing something like candidate qualification, I would probably say a bit longer than 45 minutes. So I'd be saying maybe try and up that a little bit. Um, just because there's there's so much involved in something like qualification. Um, so I'd say maybe like an hour and a half. Um, because obviously you don't want to lose the interest by people then switching off. But it sounds like someone like Alex and Jackson like are putting in those exercises those things that are appealing to people who are kinesthetic so people are doing you're not going to lose them by adding a little bit more into that and, and just drawing out that time a little bit more so yeah I'd say two hours for like a run-of-the-mill piece like that 
And then it depends on what you're also training and what the content is. So maybe three hours for something where you need to be, there needs to be a lot more content involved, a lot more learning. So if you're teaching a, some leaders something brand new to them, like I've recently done coaching for leaders, um, and this was the first learning they'd had on it, then that was a three-hour session. So I totally agree on not having full days, but I do think that 45 minutes seems very quick. Um, I, on the online side, uh, if you're doing that like on Zoom or if you're doing it on Teams, I would definitely reduce it down. I think people cannot sit on online for like two or three hours. It's too much. Um, I have done sessions where there's been a lot of content that's needed to be delivered and split it, you know, so that when someone's online, it's a little bit punchier and a little bit more concise. But again, it's that if you're doing the exercises and you're getting them to actually do because millennials and Gen Z, they want to be doing, they don't want to just sit and listen to people. So you can make it exciting enough to put in that little bit extra time. So I'd say maybe two or three hours. Yeah. All right. And then um, let's go to Jackson. Then when it comes to your L&D, um, let's, let's use candidate qualification as the, um, as the control variable, a control variable, the control, whatever it's called in science. And we'll use that. Um, how long would you spend on your candidate qualification? What's your longest um, kind of in-person training, and what's your what's your longest remote training as well? Yeah, so um, th this is um, similar to Lisa. This has changed a lot um, of late, particularly when I was a consultant myself um, going through an academy. Um, it would be, uh, as I said before, two hours uh, in the morning, two hours in the afternoon. Um, and then we got some feedback from the management at that time that they would prefer people being on desk in the afternoon and putting all the training in the morning. So then we shifted it to three hours in the morning. Now this is three hours face-to-face, -face, Monday to Friday. And yes, uh, you know, you could say that's a lot. Um, we had kind of two or three breaks um, throughout that session, you know, quick toilet breaks, quick water breaks. Um, and then I realized that I got some feedback from that cohort that they came back and said three hours is, is just too long um, to be engaged that um, period of time. So then we switched it up again. We did keep it to the three hours, but then we added more activity based, more role playing, um, even from even in that first week, you know, um, in terms of candidate qualification. Because as we all know, candidate qualification is key um, to the first part you need in terms of learning to be a recruitment consultant. So there is so much that you need to know. Um, so it is again imperative that, that we need to do this. So uh, here at Thor, we uh, do candidate qualification for two hours. Um, and that's probably off the top of my head thinking about it that's our biggest session is candidate qualification on the second day um, for two hours and then just flipping to virtual um, again during the pandemic um, when we was all doing virtual training um, we would do the three hours virtually um, and that was painful um, very very painful and um, like Alex said we unfortunately there was one person in, in the cohort that genuinely did not off um, during a session once. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I, I had to call that person out um, for falling asleep. I didn't take it personally. Then I'm thinking to myself, is my voice? Is my training? You know, what is it? 
Um, but then um, after having chat with that person, they gave some feedback, loads more people gave some feedback and said, again, trying to be engaged for three hours on camera is just too much. And then unfortunately, we couldn't change it because they needed to be on desk in the afternoon. So it had to be more activity based. It had to be more engaging. And we all know how difficult it is to do activities and be engaged virtually, but we just had to do it. It was unfortunate at that time. Then slowly, as um, lockdown started to uh, break down and we started to go back into the office, as soon as we could, we went back into the classroom for two days that week. So then we kind of split virtual uh, classroom, virtual classroom, virtual. So yeah, I, I've had so many different ways I've done this over such a short period of time, a year and a half in L&D, um, because of COVID, um, and because of so many different changes with being based in the office, based at home. So my ideal would be around up to around two hours maximum in a classroom with activity, role playing, breaks during between. And then virtually, I don't think I'll do anything more. I would want to do anything more than an hour, absolute tops. Any ad hoc training that I've got to do virtually when I'm working from home now, um, is an hour tops. And I even then try and bring it down to 45 minutes. So it's flat out and it's done and it's out of the way. I think at this point of the podcast, it would be good if we all have a moment of silence when we remember the school students across the country that had to spend five hours every single day listening to their teachers talk to them about English, maths, science, religious studies, PE, remotely. Thank you. Right, uh, so with that over and done with, um, uh, we had I have a question actually, um, which I was going to pose, um, which is managing conflicts with time and responsibilities when de um, dealing with virtual training, because when we're training people virtually, like the the outside work life can have an impact whilst they're working from home. So how do we manage with those conflicts and with those moments where something in that household takes an immediate precedence over the training? Um, I'm going to make this one a, a, short, a shorter question, if we can. Um, but have any of us had to deal with um, remote training and having something impact quite quickly on a virtual sense, which is taken away from the training session? Has that happened to yourself at all, Lisa? Yeah, so um, where, do you mean that something happens and it's a technology that affects you when you're virtually training? That, that could be part of it, yes. Yes, this happened to me just recently and my Zoom went down when I was in the middle of training. <laughs> so it's, it, that, that is the challenge with things that, which are virtual. But also I, I hear what you're saying as well when you're talking about life getting in the way. Like people have got dogs, haven't they, in the house or dogs kicking off and barking. Um, I've I've been on training courses recently where the person running the course, like the dog's going nuts. And, um, you know, I feel that a person when their dog's going nuts, I've got a dog downstairs that like is literally being like held prisoner in a room downstairs so that you don't hear her. Um, I mean, this sounds really cruel. She's in a nice comfy room. It's not really that bad. But yeah, people's dogs kick off. People who are working from home are doing school runs as well. This was something I was going to mention earlier. Like, 
we've got to be careful that we're not like we're not impacting that like some people on their work from home days are going and doing school runs you know they've got kids to pick up um so being like mindful of that thinking people have people have got lives and life situations that you don't want to be causing them massive problems and, and switching them off really going all your meetings and all your training is around the time where you'd be picking up your children when you're working from home so that's like life isn't it and i think we sometimes have to just like you know be just be kind and warm about it you know i've had people's kids just rock up in a training session and i mean i love kids and dogs so i'm pretty cool about it um but you know some people when they're trying to be professional and they're maybe new to an organization and things like this happen you just have to manage it well because that's the difference like if you're in a classroom you know someone's child and dog's not going to come running in the classroom so um you, you do have to just manage it well but yeah it can have quite it can have a distraction especially when you're doing a concise session and you know like jackson said you're going right let's get this material done in this 45 minutes on this online session um but yeah we do have to just account for that and and just be as warm and kind with the person that it's impacted as possible because there's no better way to switch people off than you know not be understanding when life gets in the way that's so true and i think lisa at this point would like us to just remind everyone listening to this podcast that no animals were harmed in the making of this <laughs> podcast I'm really talking <laughs> to my dog, I've got to say that. <laughs> uh, so, um, I, th- I like the fact that you're bringing up the human element there when it comes to training, especially when it's remote. We ha- I think there has to be that that understanding that life has that impact. And I think also as L&D reps, we are trainers, we are managers, we are leaders, uh, we are agony aunts and agony uncles as well a lot of the time. So um, really good point there. We're going to go now to our final question, um, which is yourself, uh, Lisa, uh, which is what are the key differences between virtual to face-to-face training? What are the key differences? Um, so, Lisa, would you be able to provide us with a bit of context of this question that you provided? Yeah, so this was a question I wanted to put out there to you guys. Um, so I know what I think the key differences are, and I I feel the difference between online and being in the classroom. Um, I'm a giant fan of being in the classroom um, and I'm sure as as you all are because we kind of that's what we originally signed up for before the pandemic that's where we were all at we were like you know you buzz off that environment the energy the reading people's body language reading the room feeling that energy go up like using all the different learning styles that's what I originally signed up to um, and then obviously the pandemic hit and you know what 70% of us were, were doing online uh, learning and 70% of businesses all went online with a training. I don't know what the other 30% were doing. They obviously just weren't training. I looked at that stat and was like, well, what was what were the 30% doing? They were doing nothing. Um, but I'm sure everyone here were actually doing online learning. So there's a thing called Zoom fatigue, which we've all heard. Um, and I like, I genuinely like, I, I feel it like when I'm, having online learning when I'm a person who's a delegate and I'm being trained um and apparently the the reason for that is there's like this millisecond of a delay and that millisecond of a delay is what causes your brain to like make up for this weird lack of rapport when somebody's on a screen rather than in person so and we've got we're having meetings constantly on zoom so I feel like 
the Zoom and the Teams and the online stuff, like the difference for me is I think you have to be much more charismatic, much more exciting, almost like an actor. Like, do you know, an actor puts makeup on, they look ridiculous, they go on stage, they look amazing. It's like you kind of have to dial it up. That's how I feel. I feel like you probably pour a lot of energy into online for a lesser impact than what you would get if you were in the classroom. So I was just thinking I'd love to hear the views of, of you guys about, you know, I kind of think like the differences and how you're making it exciting. Like I'm trying with the icebreakers, which Chris has done with us today, which is fabulous. Um, and exercises, get, getting people to move, you know, and any more ideas and any more things that you're doing to make that online experience more exciting because it's here to stay right and I'm even though I sound like it I, I enjoy both and I see the massive value in both because I feel like you actually engage your introverts a bit more over um zoom and online but yeah I, I just thought it's a question I'd love to ask everyone because all the stuff I'm doing to try and make it exciting and as like dramatic and exciting as you can possibly be in the energy you put in I always just feel like people seem to buzz more when they've been in a classroom with you. And I was wondering if the rest of you feel the same and, and what you feel the differences have been for you. So before I kick this off to our uh, to our panel, I'd just like to give you a story from my education days about this. Because when I was a teacher, I used to dance in front of my classes. I used to sing songs. I used to perform Shakespeare and do all the voices. I was absolutely mental as a teacher of English. Um, and when we went to remote training, obviously <laughs> it's very difficult over a webcam and, uh, and a microphone to be able to have the same, the same impact. So uh, what I did instead of is um, engaged through excellence and I changed my approach entirely. And I uh, sent messages to all my students saying, if you want to get to an A grade or whatever the, the target of that class was, this is the session that you want to be part of. And I made sure in that remote, in that remote session that um, not in, it would be 15 minutes of me talking and 40 minutes of them working. Because that way it meant that those sessions were remote only in the sense of I'm just there for 15 minutes to tell them what to do. Then for 40 minutes staying there so they could type to me any questions about the work that they had to do. And it really put the ownership of learning on the learner. And it took the ownership of learning from me. And it actually had quite a profound impact on, on my learners. So that's just uh, that's just my little story when it came to remote remote training. I had 100% attendance in one of my classes because of that approach that I took, which for remote learning at the time, so some, some teachers are lucky to get 10%. So... Uh, yeah, that's just my little take on that. Um, yeah, I like that, Chris. It's okay. Um, so, Alex, we're going to kick this one off with you about the key differences, your key different approaches. You said that you've not done remote training yet, but maybe consider it when you've been remote trained. What are the key differences, in your opinion? Um, I think some things that always work for me is when there was always a unique challenge or a unique um, aspect to that virtual training that was completely irrelevant to what we were doing just to create that little bit of fun aspect so for example we had one session where the trainer told us to all have our cameras off and then as soon as he said go 
turn the cameras on and it was where the funniest thing on your head that you could possibly find around your house and obviously um with with recruiters there were some quite interesting objects um and but again it was just funny and it, it was the first two minutes of the session but straight away everyone was like bang engaged looking in and it was just that little bit of silliness that little bit of fun element that um just kind of caught everyone's attention right at the start um for me when i have done virtual stuff previously before i came into lnd it was just that it was trying to do something in that session that just created that fun element so i would tell people to you know go and be somewhere that they hadn't sat or they hadn't stood so far that day because you know if they do all their work in their little home office or in their bedroom it's like right i want you to do training in your kitchen today you know just somewhere completely different different environment for them um and for me it was you know really really vital just to get them out of that same environment they, they may have been in for six hours before that or something for example so yeah i think just trying to make it as fun as engaging as you can possibly can and lisa i feel for you i i know what it's like you almost have to be like a an entertainer don't you rather than a trainer um it's 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 so melodramatic all the time and all the hand movements and the tones of voice to find, try and keep it engaging so uh, i i know where you're coming from with that but something like that so just something fun something uh competitive always seems to work as well whenever i seem to do something on slido like a little leaderboard quiz or, or something like that uh, or a little word cloud it, it again just generates that little bit of engagement so yeah, I think Lisa's bang on right. Just trying to make your approach to the actual leading of it fun and engaging, but also try and put some just some stuff in there that isn't doesn't doesn't necessarily need to be related to the task at hand. I think is 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 quite a good one. You know, wear a funny hat, wear a funny shirt, something like that. Wear a funny tie, whatever it is. You know, just something different that creates a little bit of engagement at the start of the session. I think I like it. So breaking up the monotony of working remotely by doing something daft. I think that's a, that's a nice one, that for sure. Um, what about yourself, Jackson? When it comes to remote compared to face-to-face -face training, what's the, your key difference? Yeah, so there, there's literally what both Alex and Lisa have said are, are things I've done in the past as well, making it fun, the hand gestures, being like the class clown um, in the session just to try and keep everyone engaged. I, I completely uh, agree with you both on that. Um, there, so there's a couple of things. Um, so first of all, to start off a session, um, I would literally how we teach, I would start to just build rapport with everyone in the group. So would you go up to last night or, you know, talk me through um, what, you, what you've done last night? You know, how was your weekend? Tell them what you've done over the weekend. So actually just having normal conversations for the first kind of five to ten minutes just to try and create some sort of commonality so you know let's say for example if there i don't know if there was a a boxing fight and then someone else would say oh yeah i watched that as well and then we just have a random discussion about that and then people who don't really know about it someone will make fun of them um and then it just create a bit of banter about it and i don't know just bringing a kind of human approach to it um to get people engaged and i, I always some feedback that I've had is um, when I coach and, and, and give training sessions, I kind of just um, let my hair down with it and just be myself. Um, and you could say be quite vulnerable. You know, I talk about my kids. I talk about what I've done outside of work and um, all of these things, because I think when um, 
people see that, they kind of buy into you more. And that was a lot of feedback that I got. A, a lot of people naturally buy into me um, just because I am just who I am. Um, so people give more and they listen more, you know. So that, that was one thing. Um, so just building some rapport um, outside of work conversation. Um, another thing that I used to do um, is I used to bring senior consultants or managers into the session as well. So I would obviously prep them the day before. I wouldn't tell the cohort or I wouldn't tell whatever type of group it is uh, that they're going to be there the next morning. And then camera's on and then suddenly this person that they see in the office or, that, or they've heard about they've not really seen yet appears in the corner um, just watching everyone and everyone's thinking, who's this person? <laughs> or, or is that that manager? Is that that director who we, we keep hearing about? And then I'd say, so guys, we're being joined by the managing director today. Um, he's going to help us with um, the training, give his experiences or her experiences, blah, blah, blah. And that kind of gives them a bit of like, oh, I, I need to listen today. You know, I need to be engaged today. So that's something different as well. I didn't do that you know, for every day, but if I felt like the group dynamic was, was going a bit, you know, low and the morale was a bit low, it gets to a Wednesday, let's bring it back up again, let's get people engaged again, you know, so if those icebreakers, the conversations, or bring someone senior into the session just to um, get people engaged uh, that little bit more, you know, so that was a couple of things that i done. Um, which tend to work uh, quite well. I like that. It's you're turning your training session almost into a masterclass by bringing somebody, by bringing a face into the training session. You're, you're giving it that air of credibility. And I think that gives it that more value, which increases the engagement. It's a nice trick, actually, that one. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of L&D people around the globe scrubbing that one down. That was a, that was a good one. Um, and I think at that point, going to end the podcast just a quick reminder that no animals have been harmed in the making of this podcast um but uh, this has been it this has been the evolution exchange podcast and i just want to take this opportunity to thank so much lisa jackson and alex for providing their insights for putting themselves out there for being vulnerable for sharing the challenges it's been absolutely uh, just so enriching for myself personally i'm sure to many people um, around around the world and if you want to get involved in any of our up upcoming podcasts please reach out to me on linkedin just by searching chris hackett or feel free to email me at hackettc at evolutionjobs.co.uk and i'll see you next time thank you so much